The lazy servant is condemned by his own words because remember we talk precious substances. He knows God. He knows God. He has a picture of God. He knows this. This master is given uh, an entrepreneur type um, uh, feel in, in this and, and to really earn a lot and, and stuff you risk a lot. You have to go out there and risk. So God is shown as being fearless in here. For God gave his only begotten son. And he gave it to a sinful world. He gave it to a bunch of us long shots. That's risky business. But he did. He risked it. And the servant is to be like the master. They need to display the same courage. They need to be open to the same type of risks as the master. Wow, it's big, isn't it? To do God things, to reach in, out in God's love, to make human connection, it is a risk. To make yourself vulnerable and, and open up the, the love of your heart in God to other people who may not know God is a risk. Being uh, out in mission in the world, in the world that is God-less, and you're trying to bring God, that's risky. It's a risk to dare to walk in the steps of Jesus. It's a risk. And think of this, everything in life is a risk, right? We're risking COVID here today. Probably shouldn't say anything, right? We came in here. Now we did our best. Jack Jones came in earlier and he left. But Jack and I, we laid Lysol all over this place. It's, you know, we did our best. But it's still a risk. You never know. Life is a risk. How much more eternal life? If life alone is a risk, how much more eternal life? If investing the meager things we own is a risk, how much more investing the master's precious resources takes courage? The bad servant is the bad servant simply because he hungered more for security and comfort than anything. And we all understand this. Nobody likes to leave their comfort zone. That's why one of the greatest mottos in a church is, well, we've always done it that way. It's comfortable. It's in the zone. The reason we, we, we're cautious, and, and rightly so in a lot of times, but is that we think wisdom just plays it safe all the time. Burying the precious resource, well, we might not gain any interest on it, but we don't lose it either. Fear and doubt, hunger for security. Fear and doubt, hunger for security. Servants who love their master and the master being God, servants who love open the storehouses. They hunger to multiply the wealth that the master has. It's worth the risk. But the servant fearing for security comes to a rather ironic end in this parable, doesn't he? Verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. 
For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. You read that, and first impression is, oh, that's not very fair. The guy hardly has anything. Now you're giving it to the guy who has everything. Hmm. But in the economy of heaven. Let's keep this in mind, first of all. Everyone was given according to their ability. All God is asking in love is, in his perfect love is, here's a baby step. Will you take the baby step? And if we're not willing to take the baby step with those precious resources, why should he give us any more? And if God himself is really the precious resource, which it comes down to, if we bury, if we suppress the little bit of connection we actually have, why should God give us any more connection? We're not dealing with the little bit we have. And if God calls you to a precious purpose, which he does, each and every one of us, and if we are playing it safe and we don't want to carry out God's purpose, why wouldn't God give that purpose to someone else to accomplish in his plan of salvation? And so we end up with this ironic end to a servant who is all about security and comfort and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember in Luke 12 last week, Luke brought it out in another way in his talking. He said that that bad servant there, that negligent servant was torn to pieces. And we talked about the whip. But you sure can see how weeping and gnashing of teeth come to play in such a, a, a visual such, um, picture. And just like every parable we've covered so far, there's no middle ground. And boy, we love middle ground because it's comfortable. There's no middle ground. It's, it's two extremes, two extreme responses the master gives. And keep in mind, as we started out, he said this was his own servants. These are legitimate servants, not people out there, not people who don't believe. This is talking about our own crowd here. They are not just legitimate servants. There's one who have been trusted with the largest weight of heavenly wealth. A talent is as large a weight in the precious as you get. They were given that, and that means that this wasn't just in that time. Anyone who is self-professing, saying they want to be a servant of God, fits in this category. And we are sitting here even now, and we're looking at two fates on the scale. Two fates. One is, well done, good and faithful servant. I've given you whatever portion, whatever nature of my precious wealth, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's one response. The other is, you unprofitable servant, you are cast into the outer darkness. That's sitting on the scales for anyone who would say they are a servant. You know, as I was looking at this, and we're talking about ancient uh, measurements of weight and balances and scales, 
It brought me back to the Old Testament, actually, to the book of Daniel. You remember the story of King Belshazzar? I almost blew that one, Belshazzar. And this king had amazing resources. He had all kinds of stuff. So much so he is throwing an, an extravagant party. He has all these folks here. And in biblical terms, everyone was really getting down. I'm not sure how that translates to the Greek. And while they're getting down, this disembodied hand starts writing on the wall. Where we get that saying, the writing's on the wall. And this disembodied hand starts writing Aramaic words on this Babylonian wall. Mine, mine, tekel, parson. What does that mean? What's he saying? Of course, Daniel comes into the picture, but the words are count, count, weigh, break in pieces. Count, count, weigh, break in pieces. The interpretation for this king was this. God has weighed the days of your life on the scales, on the balances, and you have been found wanting. This great king, his knees knocked, his hips gave out, he turned pale. God has weighed the days of your life on the balances and you have been found wanting. Your life's accomplishments, your empire in his case, will be broken to pieces. All that we go through in life, understanding what is precious, thinking we're being such a great servant because we buried it in the ground and nobody ruined it, only to hear, your life is on the balances and you've been found wanting. Everything you think you've accomplished has been broken to pieces. We have that even in the New Testament, don't we? Be like the man whose house was on fire and he got out, but he lost everything. You've been in the balances and found wanting. That's a summary for anybody who's a self-professing servant. That's the danger if we mix up the tools with what's really the precious substance. The physical for the spiritual. Now, really in a closing prayer on this, in the spirit of it all, maybe may I say this, may the truth of this parable not shake your security in Christ, but may it raise your appreciation of what is truly precious. May you never see biblical good stewardship as something as myopic as physical stuff, money, or other physical things. May we not obsess over physical things, but remain ravenous for the real wealth of God. Time, treasure, and talents are wonderful tools, but they are not the precious substance. The knowledge 
the presence, the Word of God, these things are the wealth. May you and I never mix up the two. I would ask of the Lord. Amen. Amen.